Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabragal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders, both past and present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experience in the creative industry. I'm Wendy. I'm Tracy. We We saved saved you a seat. seat. Come Come join join us. Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast, episode three. Hi friends, it's actually launch day today for us. Yeah, we're obviously uh, recording ahead of time, but it is a very exciting day. Very long time coming. Yes. Um, Everything went pretty smoothly, don't you think? (laughs) I think. Yes, I think so. Except some tech issues um, that we're still working through at the moment. Yeah, we just find ourselves struggling to connect our microphones in the most, like, optimal way. Yeah. Each episode. I do feel like we're tech experts or going to be tech experts by the end of this. Yeah, we're going to be production managers. (laughs) Career change coming up. Um, So, Wendy, how was your week this week? It was good. Um, I spent a lot of time at the gym because Mm. gyms just reopened. And I found myself on Thursday evening barely being able to move and walk. So I definitely overdid it. So hot tip for you guys, just don't do it. Overdo it at the gym. Um, take it easy and take a lot of rest days because it could leave you like virtually crippled. crippled. It's yeah. good feeling though that your body can it handle is, that. But I couldn't even raise my arms above my, oh my gosh. head, which is very classic. Yeah. Yeah. How about yours? Um, It's been a very long week. So I had a family gathering yesterday, which is why I'm a little bit dead today, this morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Trying to stay awake. Big weekend. Yeah. What was the event yesterday? It's my sister's birthday. Happy 21st birthday, sisters. <laughs> Shout outs. Yeah. Do, do the podcast fam know that you've got twin sisters? Wait, actually, I think we mentioned it in episode did we? one. No, yeah. I don't think I did. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe did. Oh. I've got twin sisters. So when I, oh, when I do refer to my sisters, I always say it with a plural and some th- people think maybe I'm like. Like making a mistake. Making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but like, fun fact, yes, she's got uh, two two younger sisters who look exactly like her. They're like mini Tracy's. <laughs> they won't like to hear that. <laughs> They're cooler versions of me. Anyways, so in today's episode, episode three, we are going to be talking about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, what it means, why it matters, and what we can do to help drive um, diversity and inclusion or DNI in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um. This is a really important topic for both of us, and we were both really excited to discuss it. I think there's just so much um, we want to talk about today. But to set the scene, um, let's define what diversity and inclusion means. Cool. So we took a look at the Diversity Council of Australia, which has really good resources on their website. And how they defined diversity is diversity is a mix of people in your organization. So it refers to all the ways in which we differ. For example, being an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander background, your age, education, gender and profession. And inclusion is getting this mix to work. So inclusion occurs where a diversity of people are respected, connected, progressing and contributing to organisational success. So I think we sometimes refer to DNI or diversity inclusion together, but it is important to know what diversity is and what is inclusion and how they work together. So I think that's a really nice definition of it. Yeah. Um, but the key point here is that everyone benefits from DNI initiatives. It's not just about helping underrepresented groups. Um, so I think that's a very important 
key point to keep in mind throughout this episode. Yeah, so when we were doing our research for this episode, I found a really interesting diagram. Um, Some of you might have heard of it, but it's like the privilege wheel or the power wheel. So we'll put this in the show notes. Um, It's really interesting. So it's a wheel that has segments of the different intersecting um, variables in identity. So the closer you are to the middle, the more privileged you are in a certain um, sphere of your um, identity. So for example, there's citizenship, gender, sexuality, ability, skin color, age, seniority, experience, language, indigenous, formal education. So we took language for an example. The closest, I guess, factor to the middle, which is privilege, is English speaking. So even things like language, you can be privileged because you can speak English compared to other people who don't and speak other languages. So we thought it was a nice little diagram for you to take a look at to see how you know, different identities intersect with each other and plays a role in diversity. So when we talk about diversity, we're not just talking about cultural diversity. We're not just talking about gender, sex. We're talking about a broad range of factors. Um, And this diagram was really helpful. So we'll just put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. And these factors really play a part in not just, I guess, your social identity. So um, I guess what race you identify with, et cetera, but also in your professional identity as well. So how that plays out in the workplace. And I think this is a good point for us to discuss why DNI is important in the workplace. Mm. So now that you have all the facts and we've kind of set the scene of what we're talking about today, Tracy, why don't we share a little bit about our experience with diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I feel like this has been pretty recent for me in terms of I never really thought about DNI in a workplace. Going into a workplace is not something you really think about that you're going to think, oh, how diverse is my workplace going to be? But the more that I'm in the industry, that's something that's coming to the forefront for me. The more that, you know, I think in the media, we're talking more about diversity and inclusion, that it's making me think about how diverse is my workplace are the workplaces I've been in Mm. um and when I really dig into it I to be honest I don't really know what like diversity inclusion policies that my workplaces have had um it's more so a feeling that I have in the workplace whether I belong or not yeah I definitely agree with the concept of belonging I feel like Dean I um even though a lot of the times, I think in big organizations, you relate DNI to the team that puts those policies mm. in place in order to push the boundaries and ensure there's greater representation in the workplace, but also making sure that they celebrate like specific holidays, yes. also celebrate um, very significant dates in the yeah. calendar year. But I think DNI for me personally really drives the way that I bring myself to work, the way that I operate day to day and the decisions that I make. And I think you don't really consider what your, the policies of DNI are in your workplace until you have a bad experience. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think like I've never, I've been lucky enough never to have had a direct, I guess, discrimination um, kind of experience mm. but I have had instances where I kind of questioned my credibility and re- whether or not it was related to my race so taking a step back um, there was kind of this moment in one of my previous jobs that um, I was a junior designer and the kind of person who was in charge she didn't really want to speak to me because she said that I wasn't a senior designer wow that's rude yeah. <laughs> and obviously she explicitly said because 
I'm a se- I wasn't a senior designer and she yeah. asked for a senior designer. I started thinking about all the things that related to that statement. So I was thinking, is it because I'm junior? Is it because I'm Asian mm. and I'm submissive and maybe that's why they don't want to work with yeah. me? Um, is it because of the way that I look, the way that I speak? Did you have prior interactions with her before? Like, Is there a reason for why she did that? No, this was the first time I'd ever met her. Yeah. And she was a, a woman in leadership as right. well. And I was just really taken aback because I actually hadn't even said like two words to her. I just introduced yeah. myself. And so I guess having that experience made me really question my position um, and the agency that I had mm. in being a person or a designer who was capable of doing the work. Yeah. Um, that was the only time I really had an uncomfortable experience and I... I think that was when I started to think about um, just my identity in the workplace and whether or not other people who look like me and sound like me had the same experience as well. Um, But, yeah, that's, I guess, as far as my experiences go in terms of bad experiences. Have you ever had anything, Trace? I think, like, obviously nothing dramatic, like no bad experiences in terms of people being racist or anything like that. Nothing nothing crazy like that. But kind of what we were saying about the feeling of belonging, I think I do feel... Um, especially at the beginning of a new job, sometimes I do feel like I don't belong. Like I have no one to relate to. Um, no one that looks like me, sounds like me. And then feeling like I almost need to put on a more professional version of myself up in the workplace, like a more proper, not from the area (laughs) type of workplace. Um, so then I do feel that pressure because everybody around me are people that I don't, um, maybe can't relate to as much. So it's more, I think, subtle, but I've also had situations where I've been uncomfortable at work. So, for example, even with client interactions or with the workplaces, um, and obviously people don't have ill intentions, but it's just situations where I felt uncomfortable. So an example is I was working on a project. um, This is a long time ago now. I was working on a project where we were organizing a photo shoot and this photo shoot involved I think seven people that we were trying to cast as talent and they were we we're going to be shooting them in everyday experiences and I was in a client meeting I was pretty junior so I didn't I wasn't making any shots or anything I was just in the meeting to listen and the conversation kind of went from oh like you know we need to choose female males blah blah, blah um, as talent and then it it went to a point where someone was like we need an Asian talent because there are no Asians in this photo shoot and then it was a little bit awkward because everybody in the room everybody else in the room weren't asian they were non-asian and then it kind of became a conversation like oh who should we cast like should they look chinese i don't know i don't even know if it went that deep it was more like we need an asian face in there yeah and it just felt maybe a little bit tokenistic i don't know i was a bit conflicted because i thought oh it's it's awesome that they are wanting more representation but also I felt a little bit awkward because I was like, should I say something? Like, should I help steer the conversation because I am Asian? I I almost felt like singled out mm. subconsciously. I don't know. It was a little bit weird of experience. Yeah, I think it's like going back to the point of agency. It's like if you're the only person in the room who can relate to the topic that they're yeah. talking about, should you be an advocate for it? And especially especially thinking about, like, the level of uh, rank or your role is. Like, if you're a junior and you're just afraid to speak up, you're like, what will they think of me if I speak up? Will they think that, you know, I'm a whistleblower or I just, like, have this opinion and I'm trying to create drama? Yeah. But 
I guess there's ways that you can bring up things in a way that doesn't make other people feel like they're completely doing the wrong thing. It's like acknowledging that their intention was right, but there's a better way to do it. And I think that is more proactive than kind of coming off defensive and acting like, like, I didn't feel like they were doing anything wrong, but I just felt uncomfortable. Like, that was my first reaction, was to feel uncomfortable. And I just didn't know how to react to the situation. Yeah. yeah. Maybe because I was the only Asian in the room and they were talking about Asian talent. It's almost like they're talking about people as products. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But also, like, um, sometimes I feel like they could be doing it to tick off a box. Mm. Like, do we have enough enough representation yes. in there? Um, and it's like, okay, if we have one Asian person, yes, cool, we're done. Yeah. Right. But I guess that's true. What we want to understand more about is like, what are the conversations that people have? What are the decisions and questions that they have in mind in helping them make these decisions? Yeah. It's almost like you, it's not just about ticking a box, but you need to continue to tick that box. Like it's not just a one-off type thing. Right. It's not like we have, I think in all the workplaces I've been in, we have like these, um, you know, respect at work trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always like, you know, we don't tolerate bullying, we don't tolerate racism, we don't tolerate blah, blah. But it's almost like you'd have to, it's a mandatory training to do at the beginning of your um, career or your job. And then you tick that box and it's kind of the conversation ends there. Mm. Whereas for me, what a diverse and inclusive workplace looks like is a conversation that's always ongoing and people are always trying to be better rather than just tick boxes. Yeah, I think there's, like, a difference when a colleague asks you something out of curiosity with yeah. the intention to learn yeah. versus asking you something because they're curious. But I don't know if I'm describing this in the right way, but you kind of know when someone is genuine and disingenuous mm. when they're asking about yeah. your culture and wanting to learn more. Yes, yeah, that's true. And I think you can... Maybe in a business context or a transactional context, you can feel a little bit more, especially in work, making decisions with client work. Like, that feels a little bit more transactional. Mm. So you don't know whether ticking boxes or being genuine about it. Um, yeah. So what about in the work that you do, Wendy? How does that translate? Um, in service design, I do a lot of uh, customer research. And so in the research process, I'm often talking to a lot of people that I've met for the first time. So in doing that, I think there are a lot of considerations that you need to keep in mind when going through the process of recruiting those people. So things such as, um, depending obviously what the thing, you're, what topic you're researching on, sometimes you need to consider what their uh, situational context might be. So for example, do they speak English or are they? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they identify um, with a certain race that may impact the questions that you ask or will the questions that you ask them during the interview um, be very sensitive to them. So being culturally sensitive is important as well. Um, but on top of that, it's also um, I've gone through a photo shoot process as well in mm-hmm. one of my previous projects and um, it was on the topic of LGBTIQ plus Um, community and we're pretty much creating a publication about the community and we had people coming in who we were featuring in them in the publication who uh, were coming in for a photo shoot and in that experience um, what we had to consider 
was whether or not anybody had any disabilities that we had to cater for because they were traveling into the city. So I think um, we had one candidate who was hard of hearing. So I kept that top of mind um, when I met up with her because I kind of had to be conscious of um, not calling her when um, I wanted to confirm the appointment. So instead, um, she preferred that I would text her. Yeah. And those little things, I think, you don't even think about when you're somebody who's um, privileged and you don't have any disabilities that impact your day-to-day. And I guess acknowledging those um, and being conscious of those things that you don't even realise is really important and building that into your workflow as well. I think more and more each day, depending on what you're working on, those things will come come into play at the strangest of times and it will make you realise that, um, as someone who doesn't struggle with any of those things, you realize how privileged you are as yeah, well. Yeah, I feel like we just make assumptions that everybody has the same privileges as us and we don't know. Like some people might have disabilities that we're not aware of until yeah. we, we're kind of confronted with that. Then it's like, oh, like the assumption I made was wrong and I shouldn't have made that assumption. Yeah, even like assuming that all the research participants that we include are yeah. going to be English speaking. Yeah. That's something that you have to like yeah, kind that's of right. yeah. tick um, in the recruitment process. Mm. So checking with those people, do you speak English as a first language? That's a requirement. Yeah. Um, and if they don't speak English as, uh, as their first language, um, is there any kind of services that you can incorporate to assist with that process? So such as translation services. Yeah. Um, so I guess those are some ways that I incorporate it in my day to day and even just being conscious about those things and making sure that there's at least one person in the room saying, have we ensured that we've, you know, gotten an equal amount of males, females, or people who identify as non-binary, etc. Those things are super, super important. And I guess I'm still learning day to day Mm. how to keep them top of mind. Like, yeah, I was going to ask actually, like, how did you start thinking about these things? Were there people in your workplace that kind of reminded you about these things? Like, I feel like even me, like when I organize photo shoots and things like that, I don't even think about those things, which is like, oh, kind of a, kind of a wake up moment, right? Like, oh, there's so much to think about outside of the stuff you assume that's normal. Yeah, I think. I have only learned through experience. Yeah. It was only through that one project um, where I was helping with the the process of creating this LGBTIQ mm. plus publication. Yeah. And I remember I was feeling, I guess, a bit scared before starting that project because I was like, I don't know much about the LGBTIQ yeah. plus community, but I do want to learn more about it and how I can become a better ally. Yes. And so it was only through that experience that I realized that there are just so many considerations that you have to think about, even in the context of just a photo shoot, which you think on surface level, you think it's so simple, but there are so many different factors that you need to consider. And I think if you're surrounded by people who live and breathe DNI or who are really familiar um, about the policies that surround it or ways to embed it in the ways that we work, you'll become more conscious of it. Yeah, I think so. I can relate in terms of like even like small projects when I work on, I'd really try to embed a little bit more of that. So um, working in advertising, obviously we work with a lot of designers, we work with a lot of visuals and images. And if I'm in a place when I'm briefing something in and I'm selecting visual inspiration for our designers, I always do try to include a diverse range of images. And it's not just like like, I don't know, white Australians. Um, I always try to make my sure that the pieces that are going out into the world 
have a little bit more diversity in what people are seeing, like not choosing stock images of just the same people over and over again, but choosing people who actually represent what the Australian population looks like. So I feel like you might have similar experiences as a designer. Do you make conscious choices about what to put in the materials you're designing? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I think we have um, those discussions as a team when thinking about things like imagery, but also on top of that, it's like thinking about the language that we use, Mm -hmm. making sure that it's inclusive, um, but also ensuring that all the kind of visual aspects that we use, for example, I'll I'll use colour as an example, making sure that the colours that we use are actually accessible. Yes. Yeah. And making, and what that means is making sure that if somebody is, um, has vision impairment, making sure that those colours, um, are, you know, able to be seen by them. Um, and, I guess, like, if I speak quite simplistic, simplistically about it, like, using neon colours is going to be difficult for people yeah. who are visually impaired. Or, like, red backgrounds. Yeah. or red backgrounds and white on red backgrounds. Yeah. Or, like, black text on a really dark blue background. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually, like, tools out there to help you kind of test the accessibility of those colours. So it can be really, really detailed and complex, but it also can be really, really simplistic in the... in the way that you approach DNI and um, the decisions that you make in the design process. Yeah, there are so many facets to it. Like we started off talking about cultural diversity, but now we see, like we're talking about ability, like disability ability, and it's just like so much. Like there's so much out there, and so many small steps we can take in so many different facets. It's it's enormous. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And what I do consciously now, given the experiences that I've had, and which has obviously broadened my knowledge about the things that we need to consider I always make sure that if I realize we haven't done the right things from a DNI perspective I'll speak up and I'll share mm-hmm. it with my team and I'll try and share as to why it's important um, to consider those things because you never know what someone might be going through um, in a social sense but also in a professional sense yep. um, and I think DNI has a place in the workplace and beyond to be able to provide the right support for people and in acknowledging that everybody's experience is different. Um, And yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great example of what a culture where you feel like you belong can look like, like people who actually consider those factors. And when they meet people for the first time, they make them feel like they're not an outsider, but they feel supported and they feel like they're seen. Yeah, being seen is kind of like feeling like your opinions are being valid, your perspective is being heard and valued and embedded in, I guess, the decisions that are being made. Yeah, and one way this can play out is to make sure um, there is a diverse range of people with different lived experiences in the rooms, in the decision-making rooms. So not just people who come from the same background have the same experiences, but making sure that the people who are making decisions, you're involving people that represent the organization and the people you're actually going to impact with these decisions. So it reminds me of a really good example of something I've experienced previously in a workplace where Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year was coming up and we wanted to celebrate it by sharing, giving some gifts to our clients. And I thought that was re- this was a really nice gesture because it was it is a workplace that really loves to, like tries to be inclusive and tries to celebrate different people's different cultures. But when I received an email, the email was like, "Hey, we want to celebrate Chinese New Year, and we're going to be sending out fortune cookies to all our clients to celebrate this event." 
And instead of me thinking, oh, that's such a lovely gesture, my immediate thought was fortune cookies. That doesn't feel right because my family celebrates Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year. And I've never once had a fortune cookie with my family (laughs) in my life. Like, I don't even know where you would buy fortune cookies. It's just not traditional in our culture. Mm. And... I kind of just sat there and was like, oh, should I say something to the team? I know it's a really good gesture, but maybe the decision was made a little bit too quickly. And there are other ways that they could celebrate this holiday or this event um, rather than sending out fortune cookies. So I did my research and as I suspected, fortune cookies aren't actually Chinese. They don't come from a Chinese heritage. I think the story is a Japanese businessman actually brought it to America and it's mainly sold in Chinese restaurants in the US. So really not really representative of everybody else's, how they celebrate Chinese New Year. Yeah, it sounds like it was just, it became, or it is now, like a novelty item. Yeah, I think so. It's quite westernised and I also, like when I think fortune cookie, I think of the stereotypical like Chinese stereotype, like bamboo hat, you know, like Chinese fortune cookies. Like, I don't know, it just brings me back not good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that you had like a bad gut feeling about it was a sign that you needed to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, I tried to put myself in the feet of the people receiving it. If I was on the client's end and a partner sent me a package of fortune cookies saying, Happy Chinese New Year, like, first of all, I would be like, oh, that's a little bit stereotypical. Fortune cookies. Also, maybe the use of Chinese New Year isn't right either. Maybe um, because I know not just Chinese people celebrate um, Lunar New Year. So I think that's a more correct term. So what I did was I spoke to the team and was like, hey, this is a really great initiative and I love the idea behind it. But I think there are other things you could send instead of fortune cookies, such as red pockets or, you know, those like lucky sweets, the red Mm, ones. Yeah. Or like even fruit, like yeah. something that we actually do consume on the day of Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year and not something that a lot of people will question, like, why am I getting this? Yeah. Something that is a little bit more intentional and more well thought out. Yeah. And I think if if you were to review or reflect on that situation, it's kind of like if they had somebody who was from a Chinese background or somebody who did celebrate Lunar New Year in the room while they were making those decisions. Yeah. The whole thing kind of could have been avoided. Exactly. (laughs) I think so. And like the team felt so bad. They were like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even realize that it might be offensive to some people. And I was like, I, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Um, But the decision was kind of like, let's can it. Like it's not right to send a gift out that's not fully researched and hasn't involved people who actually celebrate the occasion, which is like a pretty brave decision on their behalf, I think. They already had gone into production. So I was very um, happy they did that and I was very proud they did that. And the decision was next year we will bring in a team of people who actually celebrate Chinese or Lunar New Year to come up with a more authentic gift to give to your clients. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you did that was really good was the way that you framed your response Mm. and the sort of language that you use and the tone of voice. You were kind of like, you know, I understand your intentions, um, but this may be a better way to do it. 
um, and this is why. Yes. And I think when you go with that intention of sh- uh, sharing the opportunity to improve what is occurring, uh, people see it more as a way to learn yeah. rather than, oh, my God, somebody's, like, attacking our campaign. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, it was more of a collaborative approach. Like, I yes. want to work together with my company and my organisation to make sure that the decisions they're making also represent people who aren't in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show that in the workplace, there are so many things that you can do to improve DNI, whether that's if that's at an individual level, but also as an organization as a whole. Um, and I think I've been a part of several organizations that are various sizes. In bigger organizations, there's actually like a dedicated DNI team who are exist basically to drive better initiatives in the workplace and get the right people involved to do things such as celebrate national holidays, um, you know, make better policies and mm. put them in place in the workplace to ensure DNI is being kind of threaded through everything that they do. Um, but there's also things that we can do at an individual level. And I think what you just shared, Tracy, is just one of many examples of things that you can do. And you, all you did was really respond to something and had a conversation yes. about the team but that had drastic impact yeah it had a big impact and I was so relieved I actually said something because I was I don't want to offend them yeah yeah I didn't want to cause any trouble yeah and yeah. it goes back to just how you approach it because you could have definitely carried them and <laughs> sent a really angry email like you're offensive you're yeah. racist <laughs> yeah exactly right you yeah. could have been so angry about it yeah but you weren't and I think that's so much more um, productive yes in the way that you approached it than kind of just being reactive. Yeah, I think it, it comes back to just understanding or trying to appreciate their intentions. If their intentions are good, then, you know, you can learn together and help each other improve. Yeah. And just in, through my own experiences of um, ways that I'm trying to get better at being a better DNI advocate, mm. I suppose, is putting my hand up for, for things such as um, being involved in an LGBTI plus Q Q plus, sorry, uh, project. A oh, there's an A. It just keeps growing <laughs> yeah. longer and longer. But yeah. um, I think putting your hand up to be involved in things that make you uncomfortable so that you can become a little bit more educated and comfortable with being an ally, um, being able to do things like that and put your hand up for that, I think goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I highly encourage everyone to kind of get involved and speak up when things are uncomfortable yes. as well. And even, like, sending things to your management team or your HR, people and cultures team that you think might be cool. So, like, I've done that in the past where I've seen really cool initiatives about gender representation in advertising or cultural representation in advertising. And there are, like, pledges that companies can sign or agencies can sign. And I've, in the past, sent the email to my HR person. I was like, hey, this is a really cool initiative. Like, maybe we should get on board. And that's led to really good conversations within the workplace as well. Yeah, you never know what kind of small action can eventuate into. And I often, um, amongst my team also, we share resources that may help us improve the way that we approach things such as research. So there are tools that have been created out there to help you build this into the way that you work. So, for example, for design, um, there's tools like the Color Checker to ensure that your colors are accessible. That's a very simple example. But... Yeah, very, very impactful in the long run. Yeah, and we also found this really useful um, research document, I guess, Mm -hmm. document about using inclusive words at work. So the importance of language is something we can 
keep in mind in our day-to-day interactions with people at work or in everyday life, to be honest. An example is when you're talking about people with disability, instead of saying disabled employees, try saying employees with disability. And they give an example here where we should only refer to an individual's age, cultural background, gender, etc. if it is relevant. Often we do refer to them when it's not even needed. So an example here is instead of saying Jonah, who is confined to a wheelchair, is new to the team and is interested in leading this project, just try instead saying Jonah is new to the team and is interested in leading this project. You didn't have to lead with the fact that Jonah is confined to a wheelchair. So it's just little tweaks in languages as well that is important. Like, for example, something I know we both have been trying (laughs) not to say is you guys. But it's such a, like, uh, common piece of language that we have grown up using. Yeah. It's a tricky one because I use it so much. I know I use it so much. But after I use it, I'm like, oh, my God, shit. Yeah. I shouldn't have said you guys. (laughs) But I feel like that shows progress, right? The fact that you're conscious of it. And you're acknowledging the fact that there was probably a better way to say it. Yes. And how I've tried to combat it in a team setting is instead of signing off with you guys, I may say, hey, team, or yes. hey, everyone, or just using you yes. um, in a way that just suggests that you're being inclusive of everybody who's on the call, everybody who's in the chat room, for example. And I want to talk a little bit about the impacts of what happens when you don't use inclusive language. So um, for context, the information that we're kind of pulling from is from the DCA as well. Um, It was part of a campaign that they did called Words at Work, and it was to encourage people to be a little bit more inclusive with their language. So they said that when we use non-inclusive language, it contributes to stereotyping, um, so ongoing stereotyping. And non-inclusive language harms people who witness it as well as the intended targets. So it's not just the person that you're talking Mm. to or referring to, but it's also the people around them that hear it as well. So that can impact them too. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, even it reminds me of even throwaway comments, people saying things like, oh, like, you know, um, this, that girl from accounting, she's really good at like accounting because she's Asian. (laughs) Like, when you hear comments like that, even if it's maybe not in a professional setting, but it's also, like, that's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, and I think that has an impact on not just the person that you're referring to, but the yeah. people around them as yeah. well. And that's an example when you're bringing someone's culture in when you're referring to them. Like, the fact that she's Asian somehow is involved in the fact that she's good at account at accounting. You should just say she's, a, she's good at accounting. You yeah. don't need to talk about the fact that she's Asian. Like, it adds no value yeah. to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it also makes people feel, like, discriminated against. It can make them feel, like, really hostile. Mm. And in that instance, it could even make somebody question their job. That's like, true. I'm good at accounting and people think I'm good at accounting because I'm Asian. Asian. Yeah. Um, and so that might make a person feel like, damn, I don't want to do accounting anymore. Because- yeah, and also there are people who are not Asian that are good at accounting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how can we be more inclusive with the language that we use in a professional context, but also in a non-professional context. DCA has identified five steps to be more inclusive. So the first is to keep an open mind and always be learning. The second is to focus on the person. So this ties back to the examples that Tracy gave earlier. The third is to consider the context. So 
how language plays out in a work context versus a non-work context. If in doubt, ask. This is the fourth, sorry. So knowing that you don't need to know all the answers and if you're unsure as to what someone prefers in how they would like to be addressed, just ask them. And the fifth is to keep calm and respond. So I think this ties back probably to your fortune cookie example, Tracy, that sometimes we've got unconscious biases and we say things without thinking them, Mm. um, but our intention wasn't to offend anybody. So when someone kind of, um, I guess, brings that up to you, keeping calm and responding in the right way and acknowledging that maybe you were wrong is the approach to take. Yeah, and I think on the opposite side, like having courage as well to call those situations out if you feel like you're in an uncomfortable situation, like... These things do take courage, but, you know, it makes small differences that can lead to really big differences. Yeah, for sure. So we'll leave the link to that resource in the show notes. It's a really great document to read through, and I think it probably um, brings up unconscious biases that you have in the language that you use that you probably didn't even realize. Yeah, I learned so much just reading that document. I was like, whoa! (laughs) Likewise, it was like, oh my god, I do so many of these things wrong in my day-to-day. But again, it's the intention of wanting to learn and becoming more conscious of those things. Yeah, and we've spoken a lot about our personal experience with DNI, but we've also kind of looked into more DCA research and there is a paper out there that we can link in the show notes that says if you work in an inclusive organizational culture you're five times more likely to innovate three times more likely to work extra hard three times more likely to be highly effective and three times more likely to provide excellent customer or client service so i think having dni in a workplace it really just benefits not just you and the people around you but the whole organization, the business, the client, like it's good for everybody. I think um, diversity and inclusion is not, you know, it's good for everybody and not going to put anyone at a disadvantage. Yeah, exactly. And it ties back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the episode that it's for everybody mm. um, and it doesn't just single out a single group. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to wrap out our episode. Yes. I'm looking at Wendy just to check that <laughs> I haven't missed anything from this episode plan, guys. Yeah, that was uh, said, guys, such oh a... God, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> so it is our favourite time of our episode. Dinner table questions. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> so to start off with, Tracy, what is one product you can't live without? Okay, I have an answer. It's going to be controversial because... Friends and family are going to be like, I hate this product of yours. It is my paper diary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I can totally relate to your relatives because every time I ask you if you want to do something, you're like, sorry, I don't have my diary on me. I need to check when I get home. And it's like, girl, you got a calendar (laughs) on your phone. Can you, like, just use both? I literally get so much shit from everybody around me because I don't use a digital calendar um except for work so my personal life is all organized in my paper diary and if i don't have it on me i can't tell you what i'm doing she on really certain can't. dates like i just don't remember she she literally has to get back to you as if like she's her own pa <laughs> <laughs> um so i can't live with that because without it i don't know what my life would look like you do you yes. nobody's judging mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey what about you um, you know, I've actually been thinking about this because 
I think it was like one of the questions you brought up like ages ago. But I was thinking like floss. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like, like it's actually what you're thinking about. So like, uh, when you brush your teeth and you use the floss. To clean oh, and your the teeth. floss like a dance move. <laughs> no, like pork floss. Okay, right. <laughs> you know, y'all Asians. Know. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, pork floss. That's true. That's true. Um, but honestly, I have been flossing since when I was younger. I didn't take good care of my teeth, but when I became an adult in my like twenties. Um, I started flossing. I don't know why I just started, but I feel like every time if I don't floss or I forget my floss if I go away for a weekend, I feel really guilty. No, I feel guilty because I don't floss. Yeah, you should. <laughs> like the amount of gunk you yeah, find in your teeth. People, <laughs> floss. <laughs> but yeah, can't live without floss. Yeah, cool. Um, Next question. What have you been watching or listening to lately? So, if you know me well, you know I love my K-dramas, mm. but this is not a K-drama recommendation. <laughs> um, this week, I actually found a very, very relevant documentary to, I guess, this podcast. It's called Found on Netflix, and it's about how these three girls who were adopted to America um, were kind of left um, abandoned because of the China one-child policy, mm. and... Their, this documentary is about kind of their um, journey to finding each other, but also getting in touch with someone in China to help them try and find their biological mothers. And these are teenage girls as well. And I guess I felt really connected to it because they were speaking Cantonese throughout the oh, documentary. Wow. That's very cool. So it was a bit of English, a bit of um, Cantonese, obviously. And I felt somewhat connected to that. And I would highly recommend everybody to watch it because it was very, very emotional, but opens your eyes up to... Um, what adoption or how adoption can impact families and individuals as well. Yeah. How about you? So I, I've been struggling actually to find th- good things to watch lately. So I'm in a mixture of things, maybe not as high quality as the things Wendy's watching at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching The Bachelor a bit. Oh, really? Yes. I couldn't get into it. Really? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I don't. I don't know. I'm just watching these things on the side. I'm not hooked. So it's just like things I'm watching for the sake of watching. So I'm watching that. I'm watching Celebrity MasterChef, which isn't as good as the normal MasterChef. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. Because it seems like just playing f- for fun. They're just all cooking for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I also started episode one of You season three. And I, I don't know how I feel about it either. So really, if you guys have recommendations for me, please send them through because the things I'm watching right now, they're not they're not doing it. <laughs> uh, Tracy, if you could invite three people, famous or not, to a dinner party you're hosting, who would they be? So I've thought about this because I feel like everybody asks this question. Like Really? No. I've never been asked. Okay, before. I don't know. Maybe it's just such a common, I don't know, icebreaker or whatnot. Yeah. Um but I would love to get like three generations of my family. Oh wow. Like, that is such a good answer. My grandparents, parents, then their parents, and then their <gasps> parents. Wow. Like I just want to see what my upbringing oh my what my cultural like ties are and mm. like what my like the family that my family came from what influenced them and has is influencing me now like I think it'll be so interesting to get that history because I feel like I don't really know too much about my family history maybe because it's a language barrier and I don't really ask I don't really know anything mm. beyond my grandparents lives yeah yeah so I think that would be interesting that's epic now my answer is going to sound so basic is it Taylor Swift <laughs> um no <laughs> I'm not a Swiss anymore. I've yeah. moved on. Yeah. 
But um, the first person I would like to invite, if you're listening, Gemma Chan. I love Come Gemma Chan. Come sit with us. Come sit with us. Um, I just felt like she was so captivating in Crazy Rich Asians. But since then, I started to follow her on socials and just seeing her rise through, you know, the industry and also become a big part of Marvel's next movie, yes. Eternals. That was massive. And oh, she's just such an icon. I just think the way she carries herself. What Boys, a queen. Class, yeah. What a Classy, queen. Classy, yes. Yep. So that's one person. The second person is Jay Shetty. I just think I'm obsessed with his podcast on purpose. And I think he shares such an interesting perspective on things given his own life experiences of becoming a monk and then becoming a full-time podcaster amongst mm. many other things. Um, yeah. Love the guy. If you're listening, Jay Shetty, uh, come sit with us. <laughs> and the last would probably be uh, Michelle Obama. Yes. I really found her book so moving and just, I think her character um, is just so likable and she's so candid about everything as well. Um, yeah, and I think being like first lady to Barack Obama and her experiences would be um, incredible to hear about as well. So... Yeah, that's awesome. Um, definitely that'll, not as interesting as Trace. That'll be but... no, that'll be a really fun dinner. Yeah, dinner table conversation party yeah. thing. So maybe I will host a dinner party. Because <laughs> yeah, they will <laughs> definitely come. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap up this episode before it gets a little bit more weird. So to wrap up, our question for everybody listening is: What does a diverse and inclusive workplace look like to you? Let us know in the Spotify question or on our Instagram. Yes. And I think you can also leave us a voice message on Anchor FM. Ooh, yeah, try that. <laughs> yeah. If you're feeling brave, um, we would love to hear your thoughts on what DNI means to you. Um, and also happy to be challenged on anything that we've said today. We are obviously still learning about this topic. Mm. Um, and we want to keep growing and sharing this with you also. So feel free to DM us. Um, let us know any resources that have helped you. Yes. And yeah, let's start a conversation. Yes. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye. Bye.